This is the Vet Alumni Podcast with Tech and Prime. It's the Vet Alumni Podcast. I'm Tech. He's Prem. Music producers talking Philly sports. And we begin with the Eagles Zoom Conference. Uh, Howie Roseman, <laughs> Nick Sirianni, and Andy Weidel. The three musketeers. <laughs> Actually, Andy Weidel was uh, a breath of fresh air, actually, to some degree. I I agree. They met with the media yesterday, and wow, a lot to unpack here, Brian. Absolutely. The main takeaway for me, and I think for a lot of people, was Howie Roseman being noncommittal when asked about Jalen Hurts being the starter, followed by Nick Sirianni basically saying... It will be an open competition at the quarterback position. Honestly, man, now, unless this is just posturing to confuse other teams that are picking around us. To Which maybe, it could be. It could be. If it's not that and they are for real, then this is an absolute joke. Jalen Hurts was an All-American Heisman runner-up who you took in the second round. Yep. He's on a rookie contract. You have three first-round picks potentially next year. You build around this guy and see what you have now. Because if you see what you have now, you don't like it, you can let him go. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you not? <laughs> what, what, are you going to go into the starting starting the season with Joe Flacco nah. as your quarterback? So uh, it's got to be posturing. It's got to be maybe just they're trying to motivate him in a weird way. Not that the kid even needs motivation. Everything I've heard is that he's a he's, he's self motivated. He's in the building all day and all night. Oh yeah. From what I've heard, I yep. want to see him with a full complement around him. And let the kid play. I just don't understand it. I don't like it. They're trending towards what they did with Carson already yeah. with Jalen before he even has a chance to play extended time. I hate it. Who else but Jeff McClain asked the question. Uh, Here's how it went. Okay, Martin, Frank. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it hurts, though. We didn't get an answer on Hurts. Okay. Maybe Nick can answer that. Yeah, I mean, to say, to name any starters at this particular time, I just, we've been working with these guys for two days, right? We've been working with these guys for two days. My biggest thing is competition. It's, again, we've talked a little bit about my core values. It's my second core value. It's this team's second core value. Competition's a huge thing. um, And we're going to have competition at every position. So there you have it. Oh, man, well, it's, it is kind of poetic that Jeff got to ask the question. <laughs> yeah, completely Only poetic. because of his recent work that he's done. You knew it was coming when they said uh, Jeff McClain, and he, it was like you just felt something in the air. Yeah, something was coming. Yeah. And, and, you know, Nick Sirianni, I, I still don't think you can judge a guy off of press conferences in terms of his coaching ability and if guys are or are not going to buy in. Uh, but the rock, paper, scissors thing. Well, that's I'm getting to that. So okay, another okay. takeaway was you know the sideshow, if you will, of uh, Nick Sirianni's energy. I mean, on one hand, I like his enthusiasm. When he Same. starts talking the X's and O's, he gets real excited and really into yeah, it. Yeah, he loves the game. He's passionate. Right. But on the other hand, when he starts going off the rails a bit, he gets into the old Harry high school routine. <laughs> and I start thinking... Are grown men going to buy into this guy? You know, it's a very reasonable question. I think that it's going to be up to the leaders in the locker room, like Fletch and BG specifically, to keep guys in line if they smell any of that. 
Right, because you, you don't want guys rolling no. their eyes. You're going to be able to smell back. that, especially the younger guys. Right. Younger guys, new acquisitions. However, new acquisitions like, say, Wilson and Harris, those guys are new, so they're going to buy in no matter what because they just signed their contracts. Right. You know. Now, you mentioned it, but he was asked about getting to know and evaluate prospects without a scouting combine. And he said he played rock, paper, scissors with them to gauge their competitiveness. Here's how that sounded. And if you guys are wondering, I'll tell you, I think some of you guys are wondering, like, what game? We didn't go earth shattering on these games, right? I played a couple of them at rock, paper, scissors, right? That was as easy as that. Rock, paper, scissors. Let's see how competitive you are. I'm competitive. I'm going to be talking trash to him. Did you talk trash back to me? Right? Um, Jeopardy. There's different ways to do it. It looks a lot of different ways. But our coaches got so creative with this. Because everyone's compete looks a little different. Like, if I, I get up there, I play them rock, paper, scissors. They got a little more creative than I did at times. So, it was awesome, though, because it did anything you compete at. When you compete with somebody that's competitive, they're going to go at you no matter what, no matter what game you're playing. Premier thoughts. Well, personally, I usually go rock off the jump. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think we all go rock. I, I think it's rock, unbeatable. <laughs> rock is a good... You know, most, most people aren't starting with paper. No. So no. I'm pretty competitive. If I was him, <laughs> I would have set up a miniature basketball hoop and, and done like a free throw shooting like in a, in a room. Right. Like if something well, like that. All they have is Zoom, however. Oh, that's right. This Okay. Well, in, COVID, in the COVID world, it's a little bit different. Okay. Right. Okay. Fair. You know, I... I know that people are going to think it's cheesy, but at the same time, you know, I kind of get it. He's trying to get creative in a new world, and I think maybe people are going to are harping on it too much, maybe, you know. Maybe. 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 I don't want, listen, <laughs> I don't want to make too much of it, but we'll talk to Tyler Steggy about it on the vet line in a few. Tyler does some good work, man. He does. Fox Sports. Yeah. Uh, Bleacher Report. That'll be a good combo. But right now. Brought to you by ProLine Music, everything for the musician. It's time for a vet fact. Oh, yeah. This is a vet fact. He's ahead of Parrish, nothing and two. Struck him out! Phillies are the National League Eastern Division champions. Tuck McGraw is being bobbed. The Phillies are in the playoffs. Tuck McGraw, an unbelievable finish. What an unbelievable year for the Phillies. Philadelphia has had to take a back seat to New York City. Well, New York City can take this world championship and stick it, because we're number one! So, Tech, as we know, the Phillies won the World Series in 1980. Yeah. They went back in 83, but lost. Yes, they did. The guy who sealed the deal in 1980 was no other than Tug McGraw. The Tugger. Did you know that the pitcher who has the lowest ERA in veteran stadiums history with a minimum of 200 innings pitched was Tug McGraw? Wow. 2.73 ERA. He was the man. There was not a pitcher that stepped foot in a Phillies uniform on that field that had a better pitching performance, you could argue. And this even includes Steve Carlton. Yeah. That's remarkable. That is me. remarkable. Tug McGraw, what a great clip of him jumping off the mound in 1980. Uh, iconic. Absolutely iconic. Um, there's your vet fact for the day. There it is. Okay. We are now a week away 
from the NFL draft. And from, I'm, get, I'm getting a little concerned. I'm not, I'm not sure they will do what they're supposed to do slash what we want them to do with that number 12 you, you, Wait, you mean you're concerned about how he picked no, players? I mean, I think everybody's a little concerned. I think uh, I'm, I'm preaching to the, to the choir here. Maybe. But. Well, actually, um, we'll, we'll, talk with, we'll talk with Seamus Clancy of Bleeding Green Nation today about that, too. Yes, we will. On the vet line. Um, I, I'm... Maybe I'm uberly confident that we're going to do the right thing here. I think they're going to end up with one of these cornerbacks. I personally hope we do. Either Sertain, Sertain, or Horn. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Uh, Jordan Howard re-signed last week. Now, uh, friend, was there no one else available that they had to re-sign Jordan Howard? I mean, apparently. Look, the guy's still only 28 years old. Um, You know, he's going to be your third running back. Third running back. How many many carries your third running back going to get in a game? Four, yeah, three, four. Maybe he gets used in goal line situations a little more. I mean, maybe with this coaching staff because well, they use three backs in Indy. Okay, you have Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, and Jordan Wilkins. It seemed like Doug would be going to uh, Jordan Howard. Uh, yeah, for, for like a, it was ridiculous. I know. It's like Miles Sanders is on the sidelines, and you yeah. got Jordan Howard in there rushing. And I feel like Boston Scott, even though he's smaller than Howard, he runs with like almost as much power as Howard. Well, I like Boston Scott, but he he's like a Darren Sproles guy. He to is, me, he, he is. should be the third guy that that, get, that gets the screen passes. And so, what's this mean for Corey Clement? I don't know. Is he just, still going to be around? Is, is Clement still around? Undrafted guy, you know, great hometown type of story. I think he's from Jersey. He's got family in the Philly area, I believe. Uh, was a cool story. You know, caught in a... I mean, without that touchdown catch in the Super Bowl, we don't win that game. Well, that's true. Uh, that was a tremendous catch. Amazing. That almost got overturned. We would have burned the city down. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nevertheless, uh, yeah, I think Corey might not have a spot on this squad if, uh, unless they're letting Howard and him compete for that three spot, which would be okay. That would be okay. Uh, well, yeah, like you said, we'll talk to Seamus Clancy on the vet line, uh, talk more Burge draft. But the Phils, the Phillies avoided the sweep from Gabe Kapler and the San Francisco Giants. Barely. Beating them on a walk-off single by none other than Andrew Knapp. As Gabe Kapler called him, Nappy. Yeah, it's nap time, baby. It's nap time. Now, you know, you don't get to that point without Bryce hitting a nice bomb into right center field right. in the seventh inning. He was consistent up. all game. What a, what a great yeah, game he had. He's, had. he's on a tear right now, Bryce. Yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's still plenty to be concerned about. There is. With That's this, true. With, with, with the, this pen, the pen has given up three three-run home runs in the last two games. Right. Three. Three-run yes. blasts. And Girardi has been disappointing. He, he leaves pitchers in too long, and Tuesday night, it cost them. Big time. I mean, Brogdon, you know, the kid was a little starstruck, but two three-run jacks. You know, it was the first time that a, a relief pitcher for the Phillies gave up two two or three-run jacks in the same inning since 1929. He should have been taken out after the first home run. Absolutely. It, le- it, was, he, poor, it was poor management. You left him in. And then he he lets a, a guy get on base. Then he lets another guy get on base, and he still keeps him in. Another blast. Boom. And then another blast. It got out of hand really quick. We'll discuss it with Tim Kelly on the vet line when we go around the bases. Yeah.
But uh, the Sixers lost a game Monday against, you know, my other favorite team, the Golden State Warriors. Fair. And Steph Curry lit them up for 49 points, 10 threes. This guy is climbing through the NBA record books at a phenomenal pace. When he retires, he's going to have three-point made records that nobody is ever going to come close to. No. 49 points the other night, 10 threes. 10 threes against us, 11 yep. threes the game before that. <sighs> This dude is literally a shooting machine. He's single-handedly the greatest shooter I've ever seen. I agree. I mean, I would have to maybe go only because of the remarkable things Reggie Miller did in his Yeah, Reggie Miller, tremendous. I I got Steph ahead of Reggie. Yeah, I do too. Even though Reggie Miller was special. He was, he was. But yeah, Steph Curry, I mean, at the the rate that he makes them and the consistency with which he does it. Unbelievable. It's never been seen before in the NBA. The end of that game, when it was close. It was. And Steph hit a three, and it really hurt us. Then he comes back, and then he hits another three. And it really was the backbreaker. It was. You have to trap him at half court. I mean, Unbelievable. You, have to have, you almost have to have like a full court press to combat Steph Curry. And you have to, you have to concede the paint points. The, the thing that they did better than us, uh, and we'll talk about it when we go and enter the center, yes. uh, is when we double teamed Steph. He was able to get the ball to a wide open Kelly Oubre yeah, or someone else. That's the problem. And they were hitting shots. It's a problem. And they were double, triple teaming Embiid, and I we know. had no answer. Without Tobias and Ben Simmons, I know. there was no answer. We we're undermanned, you know, and, and the Warriors are a team that is fighting for the eight spot in the they West. They are. You know, they're, they're, I think, a game or two back of the pace for the eight spot behind the right. Grizzlies. And I think they're now a 500 team. They were below 500 yeah. coming into Philadelphia. It's all Steph, man. I mean, so yeah, that was a disappointing game. Um, still a dead heat, a virtual dead heat atop the East. The Nets are hurting. Yeah, Harden and, and Durant both out. Out, harden out indefinitely. May, might not be back to the playoffs. And the narrative that we've had on this show that I've talked about, that other guests of ours have talked about, is the whole chemistry come playoff time thing, man. These guys have it's only true. played seven or eight games together. You I know, agree. You talk about their big three. We could go in hot. Our schedule down the stretch is not crazy. The Nets have an easier schedule down the stretch, though. Yeah. We'll get into it when we enter the center. But coming up, we talk birds with Tyler Steggy on the vet line. Next. Pro line music. Pro line music. Located at 490 Lincoln Highway in Fairless Hills, PA. Pro line music. Everything for the musician. Carrying all major brands. You find a better price, we'll beat it. Offering lessons in person or virtual. On site repair service center. Rental recording studio. Pro line music. Call 215-736-8055. One more time. 215-736-8055. Yes, sir. Pro line music. Pro line music. Everything for the musician. Vet alumni. And now it's the vet line. Answer the damn phone. We're joined on the vet line by Tyler Steggy. His work has been featured on the Bleacher Report, Fox Sports Radio, and others. And as he says, scared money don't make money. Tyler, <laughs> thanks for joining us today. Yo, hold on. We didn't even do, by the way, we didn't do any rehearsing. And you just nailed the last name. Like, just completely hit it out the ballpark, yes, brother. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Oh, that's that's because appreci- Tech uh, tech does his research. Yeah, we do our research here. We do. Yeah. We do. <laughs> you know, we're, we're a couple I, of uh, late 30s guys. We know not to mess that up. 
I always have very, very low expectations for the start of the show. But yeah, I appreciate it. I'm excited to join. Absolutely, man. So we saw the news conference, the press conference yesterday with Sirianni, Roseman, and Andy Weidel. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on Jalen Hurts basically not being endorsed as the starter for the Eagles? Uh, I mean, see, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very much into like not reading too much into these, into these pressers. Now, there's things that's why they have them, and that's why you know the media guys are there asking the questions. But I didn't. I mean, anybody who was anticipating an endorsement for Jalen Hurts a week from the draft, after the team has kind of already been wishy-washy with. Uh, describing Jalen Hurts and saying, you know, we're going to bring in competition. And you could tell when they signed Joe Flacco that <laughs> the way that they kind of portrayed it was, oh, ja- Joe Flacco is going to come in here and compete. So that <laughs> yeah. kind of was like, yeah. you, you know, like you're kind of like, okay, we see what you guys are doing. Like they're not going to come out and say Jalen Hurts is the guy, but, you know, they're the jersey number – and Jalen, you know, the videos of Eagles, uh, the Eagles Twitter page, you know, dropping like videos of him shaking Nick Sirianni's hand. And, and I mean, even and especially the biggest move, by the way, is like just the move from six to 12. Like that is that is the indication that you really need that kind of lets you know that this team is like, OK, we're rolling with Jalen Hurts for at least 2021. Right. Um, so. It, to answer your question directly, I don't. I don't pay attention. Like I didn't. I, I think Jalen Hurts is going to be the starter uh, week one, and uh, whoever they play week one. When I can't wait for the, the schedule to release next month. But yeah, man. Um, I'm 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 not anticipating the QB to be drafted in the first round or second round. But and and this is a good rebuttal. People said, well, did you expect a quarterback to be taken in round two? last year no I didn't that's a good point <laughs> so, yeah that's a good point I mean we, we talked about the posturing aspect like you mentioned this just being posturing before the draft we talked about that um, being a possibility and to hear you reinforce that just makes me believe that even more yeah you know? sm- pre-draft smoke and mirrors yeah absolutely it, exactly and I mean we all know how we I mean there's there's a reason this this uh, there's a report every other day that says the Eagles want to trade up the Eagles want to trade down the Eagles are interested in a corner the Eagles are interested in a receiver they're interested in a D-lineman. It's, I mean, it changes every week, and I, I really do think that is how we uh, never showing his hand. And and if there is if there is anything that how is good at, it's always been that. Now the issue is is you got to actually be able to to actually make the right decision when you are on the clock, and you know maybe pick the right receiver, or pick the right corner, but. Um, Howie does it does a damn good job of, of not showing his hand before a draft, and that goes back uh, years from not just this year. I do like that aspect. I do appreciate that aspect for sure. When asked about what Nick Sirianni is looking for in a wide receiver, he he, he basically described Devontae Smith. Uh, should we assume that if he's there at 12, he'll be the pick? Uh, I wouldn't assume it. Um, I think that this just – and this is a hunch. And then, I mean, a, a couple of people that I've talked to, um, I, I think that the the goal here is they're going corner. I think they're going corner. That's what we that's, want, by yeah. the way. We, yeah. we, we're, we're big fans of uh, Sertain, and we, we very much like him to be the pick. Yeah. Sertain or Horn, man. Or I mean, Horn. I'll, I'll, I'll be Horn. okay with either of them. Yep, um, same. Do, do, I, I don't think that they're they have one or two prospects that they're just honed in on. I think I think that yeah, like you said, if Devontae Smith is there at twelve, which uh, I think it's very possible, man. I mean, 
here's my thing. Going into it, when we when the Eagles had pick six, I was saying, you know, there's no way that they could take a guy who has his frame, you know, around top five. Like, I just feel like if you're picking that early in the draft, you can't risk something. And and I love Devontae Smith, and I love his production, and his ability I don't doubt for a second. Right. But when you see that report that comes out today that, you know, he's <laughs> – He's he's 166 pounds, yo. Like I mean, I was a skinny dude in high school, and there was no Same, I didn't play. Right. I, I didn't, <laughs> like I didn't get I didn't get offers in college. No, I'm just playing. 166. I, I, I'm I'm 150 yeah, and I'm five five. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. It was a, it, it's a pretty scary thing to think about because when you think about the player that he is, people will say, well, yo, Deshaun Jackson went, you know, or he, he's 170 pounds. Well, Deshaun Jackson wasn't taken potentially top 10. And Deshaun Jackson didn't have, like, his style of play is he's a burner. Devontae Smith caught 117 balls as a senior. Right. So, that is letting you know that he's a volume guy. He's a guy that, you know, is going to be getting open early and often, and if you're taking him around, you know, a top 10 picker with a 12th pick specifically, you're putting you're you're going into it with the demeanor of or with the intention of we're going to feed this guy, and that's my biggest question, and I think that's a lot of people's question. And and we're not there for the medicals, and that's the really really tough part about this draft process. Is you know fans like us, we get excited over prospects, we like these guys, we fall in love with guys, and then all of a sudden they drop, and we're like, what the hell? Like yeah. DK, for instance, and we don't we don't see. Um, and so that's where it's tough. But do I think that they're interested in Devontae Smith? You're right. I, I picked up on that too with the way he was, de- with the way Sirianni was describing receivers. Yeah. And even Howie, Howie kind of mentioned it too when he was yeah. like, yeah, we don't discriminate. Um, yes. Yeah, that perked my, my eyebrows a little bit. Absolutely. Um, Okay, to stay on Sirianni, I don't want to harp. I kind of know where you stand on this, so I'm going to ask this because I continuously need positive reinforcements. So, the Rock... (laughs) I'm your your guy for that. Right, right. I figured you would be. Uh, The Rock, Paper, Scissors routine, listen, it, it may work on incoming young draft picks, but will the grown men... The veterans uh, on this football team buy into this over-the-top enthusiasm, or will they be rolling their eyes behind his back? Yeah, it's a good question, and uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a I'm an optimist, and I'm somebody who can kind of see the light at things. But I, I will be honest. I mean, Sirianni can he has some cringy moments. There, it's just yeah. it, there is there's there's times during the the presser where you're like, man, where's he? Where's he going with this thought? <laughs> he's eating his Wheaties every day is what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's excited. And, and here's the thing, though, is I think that that may have been, I guess, a vision with Lurie and Roseman after Doug, who is kind of, you know, known as somebody who's relied on the vets and somebody who was kind of an old soul. He was an ex-player, kind of had a laid back approach. The cool thing is, is there's a nice balance now. Now, how will your, it's a great question that you, you brought up, you know, how are the veterans going to take this? Because it seems like the new guys are going to rally with it, but how are the old guys? How are the veterans? How's the Kelsey? How the Brennan Grams? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it, you know, we really don't, won't have that answer, but I'll tell you what, 
<laughs> people are going to listen to their coaches if you win. And that's really what it's going to come down to is if Nick Sirianni has, you know, a hot start and he's winning games, nobody's going to care how he's talking about exactly. rock, paper, that's, scissors. That's it doesn't true. matter. Exactly. Yeah, I said the same thing. And, and you know, I, I watched the uh, breaking down the game film and I really liked how he was breaking down the game film. It gave me a lot of confidence that me too. on the fly – during game situations, he's going to be seeing things the way he needs to see them to make the proper adjustments. Um, Absolutely, I do. I that's probably my biggest thing is he he. Sirianni was getting caught on his words a couple times, but I I under, like when you step back and you're like okay like when you do understand and digest what he's trying to say, you, you can tell he's going to put a huge emphasis on adapting. And you know hey we we he, he brought it in the presser a couple times like hey we we prepared for this third and long, but you know they they're showing this coverage and then right. after the ball is snapped, you know sometimes you have to adjust. And again. I don't want to crap on Doug too much, but the last two or three years, there's been not many adjustments. You're right. Been, Absolutely. There, yeah. There has been a lack of, of that for, in, in that regard for a while, and it's been frustrating. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about Sirianni. I, I feel like a lot of people are wanting to, to form an opinion, and, and I know we're, we're all impatient, but at the end of the day, we're not going to really have a, a real feel until he starts coaching games. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we got a few months before we're even going to have an idea of how to make a fair opinion. Now, to True. the other side of the ball, John Gannon, new defensive coordinator, what are your thoughts on his system and his pedigree? Um, I'm a huge fan, um, and my biggest, the biggest thing to be excited about, not just for me as any Eagles fan, is Jim Schwartz runs a lot of man coverage, which I know a lot of people can be frustrated with, but man coverage is, is big boy ball. And, I mean, at the end of the day, that's why Jim Schwartz was successful in the postseason. I mean, and I don't know if you guys ever saw, but Jim Schwartz was amazing in the postseason when it came to numbers. He shut down a lot of good quarterbacks. He did. He did. Matt the Ryan included. Matt Ryan Matt included. Matt Ryan. I mean, I mean, yeah, they, yeah. He just knows what the heck he was doing. But I, I understand the the uh, the short fuse when it comes to the uh, the third down defense and the sticks defense. But get into John Gannon. He's a complete. He's he's the opposite. And and why it's exciting is when you're playing man like Jim Schwartz did. You just you you rarely turn the ball over, and that that can make it very hard to play complementary football when your defense is on the field for so long, and then all of a sudden your offense is you know starting at the five yard line. The nice thing about Jonathan Gannon's defense is they play a lot of cover two, they play a lot of cover three, and they're very opportunistic. And they're going to try and force turnovers. Yes, I mean, that's, that's just, what we it, need. It's kind of, it's kind of a bend don't break. Um, and and the, going back to you know what to expect. I mean, if you look at the needs on this roster, yeah, we need a receiver, but there's a huge gaping hole at cornerback too across right. the yeah. series play. And cornerback play is going to be absolutely huge in this scheme. And um, they need to figure that position out. Um, I will say. Wilson that they got from the Vikings is going to be the probably two or three down linebacker starter. Him and Alex Singleton should be a very fun duo. Absolutely. Um, and he'll be a lot better than Nate Gary was. <laughs> yeah, Nate, Nate, Nate the Snake. Nate the Snake. Oh, man. So, Tyler, last Birds question. Win prediction 2021. Yeah, we need draft picks. And I, stuff. Know, I, I know, I know. I, I sent out a tweet. I sent out a tweet two weeks ago, and I said, "I I think the team can win eight to eleven games." That's fair. That's eight fair. Eight to eleven, and I, I I honestly think even even if they this one underrated aspect of this team is the offensive line and what it can do 
for the overall team. I mean, when you have an offensive line like they do, and then you have, I mean, just looking at the run game of what Hurts and Sanders should be, this team should be able to control the clock on some games and beat up on at least weaker opponents. Yeah, you're and, right. And, and the, the thing going for them is they don't have a tough schedule. This is going to be a, a, a fourth place division, a fourth place in the division schedule. So they're going to get a lot of, I don't want to say gimme games because nothing in the NFL is a gimme game, but um, I don't think eight to 11 wins is, is out of the realm of possibilities. It really does depend. Hmm. The biggest thing going in is they need that corner and they need to add another pass catcher because yeah, yeah. I'm tired of seeing Greg Ward not be able to do anything in the slot and no. um, they need a consistent X receiver and whether that be Fulgham or somebody they take in the draft. Um, but they need somebody else to add some juice to that room. But agreed, it should be a, it should be a much better. I, I'm just expecting a little bit. I don't. I, the, the offense was just so bad last it year was. under Doug, and I'm I'm expecting a couple guys to like get Goddard, Rager, Sanders. Those guys just start to play well. Yeah, and Sanders. I mean, he can be an elite running back. You know, he really can be. He's got the juice. He's got the power, um, and he's got the vision. You know, to break away. Uh, when when the hole is there, like he did against the Bills, I think last year that long run he had against the Bills, like that's the Miles Sanders we need to see on a weekly basis. Yeah, absolutely, and and I, I do think uh, there was some truth to their report of them maybe taking Dobbins last year in round two, um, and you you just wonder if that pick ever happened, what the heck would the team look like now? Um, but I, I do expect them to add to the running back room. I, I know Howard was added, but. Um, I expect a, a running back to be adding in, I, I don't know, round three or four. Yeah, so Tyler, it's been good talking birds with you. Um, we'll have you on again at some point, too. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, you know what time it is. We're talking about the fightings here. The fightings. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. It's time to go around the bases on the Vet Alumni Podcast. Oh my God, deep to right field, way up there, and way out of here! Today we're joined on the Vet Line by Tim Kelly, Editorial Director for Phillies Nation and part of the staff at Odyssey Sports. Tim, thanks for coming to talk Phils with us. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, before the season, you know, we all have had our predictions about win totals, this and that. After seeing almost 20 games, do you feel like your prediction before the season is on point? Or do you feel like maybe you wish you could have changed it at this point? I think before the season, I said they'd win about 87 games, 86, 87, and just missed the playoffs. And what I've seen so far... It looks a lot more like a 500 team and kind of right around the range that we've seen over the last few seasons out of the Phillies. So uh, you don't want to make any rush judgments off of 17 games, but certainly there are some glaring holes on this roster. There are. There are. Um, You know, we know that the pen is probably still a little better than it was um, in the last couple years, but uh, the second game against the Giants just really felt like a 2020 type of performance um what do you think about the pen so far um and who do you think is going to step in in the absence of Alvarado uh, in the interim I actually think the bullpen has been pretty impressive so far 
Tuesday, their hands were tied to a degree because of uh, Alvarado not being available and some of the different issues they're dealing with with COVID. But when you have everybody there, Connor Brogdon did not pitch well last night, but prior to that, he had been tremendous. Sam Coonrod so far looks like a steal. He does. Hector Neris is a, a very good relief pitcher when he's on. So I, I actually think the bullpen is leaps and bounds better than it was last season and that doesn't mean you won't want to add maybe another left-handed option this summer if you're contending but I, I don't think that that's the biggest concern on the team it might not even be the second biggest concern yeah I agree with your assessment there I really do um, let's talk about how historically bad the start has been for our center field position players when and if um, Odubel gets called up do you want to see him starting in center field well, I think you're getting to the point here where they're going to try another option. They've tried Mickey Moniak, and if that doesn't go well in a week or whatever, then uh, they'll, they'll probably give Odubel Herrera an opportunity. So mm. I, I think they've exhausted pretty much all the internal options. I actually did not think they would bring Mickey Moniak up this quickly, and I don't think that they thought that. But circumstances kind of forced their hand. So they're going to let Moniak play for a little bit, see how that goes. And if not, then... Yeah, either Herrera or Kingery or somebody is going to be up in center field. Tim, Joe Girardi, uh, Tuesday night, he left Wheeler in a little too long. Sure enough, he gives up a home run. Giants take the lead. We get the lead back, then Brogdon gives up the home run. A few batters later, he gives up another home run that pretty much puts the game away. A lot of comparisons to Gabe Kapler being thrown around. How would you evaluate Joe Girardi as manager of the Philadelphia Phillies so far? Well, I would say in a lot of senses, last year, you almost have to throw out because the bullpen was so bad. And uh, you just evaluate him on this. I mean, there is a reality in center field. His hands are tied. He has a bunch of internal options that have not produced. Uh, as far as bullpen management, though, I don't think it's been great so far this season. And I think yeah. there has been kind of a hesitancy or uh, very conservative just to get relievers going. And it seems like that forces you, you're a batter or two too late when you make some of these pitching changes. So that's an adjustment that has to be made. But they, they also are dealing with the fact that you have guys coming and going this week because of uh, the, the COVID situation. So it, it's not an ideal situation. And uh, it's something as, as you get Archie Bradley back, Jose Alvarado, hopefully for the Phillies, it'll improve. Matt Moore, uh, one of the worst starting pitchers I, I've ever seen. I mean, Tim, what about Cole Hamels? He's available. Is he so washed that Vince Velasquez is a better option at this point? I think Vince Velasquez is a better option on Friday because Vince Velasquez is built up and ready to pitch. Um, we'll see. I, I don't know what the deal is exactly with Cole Hamels. I, I get the sense... Uh, based off a John Heyman report the other day that Hamels might be interested in kind of waiting things out this mm. summer and kind of picking who's a contender. And th th there is a reality for him. He's had injuries the, the last two seasons that he may feel he's better off kind of doing what Pedro Martinez did in 2009, where you latch on with a contender for a few months than trying to pitch a, a full season at 162 games when you've had injury problems. 
Yeah, that's that's a smart move for a guy like Cole. I mean, yeah, he's true. obviously going to be coming in to win another ring um, and look for the best fit for that. So it sounds like the Phillies would be hoping on nostalgia uh, taking precedent um, in that case. Now, as far as homegrown players go, with Cole being one of them, obviously, and many other guys we know, like Chase and Jimmy and these guys that were amazing, we don't really have many homegrown guys that have been coming up and producing can you name a guy or two in our system maybe at the low level that you have high hopes for in a couple years i think mick abel is going to be very good but he's someone you just drafted out of high school and because of covid you he, he didn't get to have his even a senior year of high school and then uh he there wasn't rookie ball to go to so that that's a ways away so uh yeah with him i, I think you're waiting but i, I have high hopes for him i i, I like nick mason Let, let's too. uh start it there i mean i don't think he's going to be an all-star infielder but to me, even as back, far back as spring training, I was a little surprised they kept Ronald Torres over him because Nick Maton, to me, seems like someone that could be a pretty valuable bench piece for quite some time. Yeah, I like him too, and I liked his energy in the spring, and the bench has just been kind of underwhelming. I mean, I know Brad yeah. Miller kind of got off the schneid uh, the other night with, with a nice swing. Um, I guess it depends on if they're contending, but do you think that the way it's set up now— we have a real chance with the way the bench is to even contend? No, they're going to need to make another addition. The problem is, it's not like you have eight positions where you're sure of and then it's just the bench. You have like six positions where you feel comfortable at. And then on some days you're having to use Matt Joyce, who's gotten on base quite a bit early in the season, but you're having to use him as a starter so you lose him on the bench. Brad Miller's hit into some bad luck early this season where he's scorched balls, but they're right at people. So he's a very good option off the bench and paid accordingly. But yeah, they, they do need one or two bench options. Center field is obviously the most pressing need but with pitchers hitting again and the, the pinch hitters being a much bigger factor this year that's going to have to be something they address at the deadline absolutely and again for our listeners we're speaking with tim kelly he's at tim kelly sports on twitter editorial director for phillies nation which is at phillies nation tim we really appreciate you taking the time to talk fills with us and and we're hoping to have you back on again uh, maybe around the all-star break awesome sounds good thanks guys thanks tim Enter the center. Yes! And the Sixers win it! With Tech and Prem. We score! Bang, bang, and the The Vet Alumni. As we walk across the street and enter the center. Yeah. Okay, so Monday night, the Sixers lose to Golden State. Steph Curry drops 49 points with 10 threes. Generational. And, you know, we thought we'd see the debut of George Hill last week against Brooklyn, but no. Instead, he debuted Monday. And regardless of what I saw people say on Twitter and what he did against Phoenix last night. Which was average performance. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, threes. I couldn't have been more underwhelmed about the debut of a Sixer. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we knew that that wasn't a groundbreaking acquisition. No, I, I, I know that there's potential that he helps this playoff rotation, but uh, I don't know that I'm seeing a great fit with George Hill. It's tricky because, you know, you saw him last night with the Sixers missing three starters. 
Right, and he he, he hit so. yes, and he and he hit some threes. He did. He hit a couple threes. He he looked pretty crisp shooting the ball. Um, but you know, you're missing Seth, you're missing Ben, you're missing Toby. Not a perfect representation, I think, of what Hill will be when the team is fully together. Yeah, and uh, by the way, uh, they, they they with with their starters out. The Sixers still played Phoenix tough. They and did. A lot of people don't even understand. Phoenix is like the second best team in the league right now. I mean, now. they are. And I've taken them in the pick segment a couple times and had some hits with yeah. them. Um, you know, it was a tight game the whole night. Just Phoenix is too much. I agree. Phoenix is too much. It was tight. I mean, then Phoenix goes up seven with like five minutes to go. You know at that point that this one's probably a wrap. Here's my problem. The same thing came back to haunt them that, that happened on Monday night against Steph and, and Golden State. What happened is Steph, every time Steph gets the ball, he's he's either double teamed or he's finding other guys to get shots. Someone's open. Someone's open. Yeah. But so many times, Steph gets the because because by the way, Golden State moves the ball faster than any other team yeah, in do. the league. Their ball movement is impressive. It's it's it is. It's been their calling well, Phoenix card. Leads the, Phoenix leads the league in assists. Right. Not, right. You know? uh, Golden State. It's been their calling card. The way they move the ball uh, for years, even during the years when they won those championships. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Steph gets the ball wide open sometimes for these threes. I know. What are you thinking? There's no excuse. I mean, I, I said it before. You have to you have to press Steph Curry. You let him bury you. You know what he's going to do. You, you have to press him at half court before he could even approach the line and make him pass the ball. Right. And then, you know, then you have to roll your defense at that point, you know, wherever he goes to. They just did not play the Warriors like you need to play the Warriors. And then they come out against Phoenix and... It's even more egregious because even though three starters out uh, and 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 you're basically so shorthanded that you can't play the style of defense we're used to seeing. Right. But it was just so egregious that guys uh, Carter and these these other guys I'm not even familiar with some of the Dude, I mean, guys shooting yeah. threes on us wide open threes oh yeah unbelievable I mean, yeah Carter you're right Carter's three for four from downtown you know, Chris Paul hit five threes well he I mean this is a great year for Chris Paul yeah he's he's definitely a player that needs to win a chip and yeah. he knows that Phoenix might be his best chance to do it Look, they're a dark horse to win it all. Um, this squad has 42 wins out of the West. I know you've loved Phoenix since since before the season they, began. They were my pick to make the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. And, and I was getting, I was talking to other people about it, like, oh, Phoenix out, you're crazy. But like, yeah, I was one of those people that raised my eyebrows. Phoenix, really? I saw it coming when they drafted Aiton because Aiton is he's going to be a really solid big man in the league. Yeah, um, you know, and they're supporting cast with Devin Booker and and even they got Dario Saric out there too. I mean, they got a good. Can't forget cast. about Dario. Dario looked pretty uh, pretty. Spry last night, you know, seven or eight points, I think, something like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, look, I just don't know. I just don't know that this team can go to the finals. I don't, I don't, it's looking like we're not going to get the one seed. I don't know, man. I mean, look, the Nets without, without Harden and Durant, I mean, pretty much got embarrassed in Toronto last night. Well, it it's a was... ten point. That's a ten point game late, and I mean they end up losing by by similar amount. I, I hear you. Um, we needed that, by the way. We did because right now we're still going to maintain that half game lead. 
for now. For now. Until we play this Bucks team later tonight <laughs> in Milwaukee, which I'll get to in the pick segment, actually. Right. I, yes. I'm concerned um, about the second of a back-to-back against a team like Milwaukee. I agree. And you're going on the road. Yeah, it's you know. a tough one. You're I going don't know. on the road. It, it, I, they haven't announced yet, but I don't know if Ben or Tobias are going to be available. And Milwaukee's coming off of uh, a night off. You know, but I still, I still have confidence in our boys uh, that they can go out there and win. I mean, you know, ironically, the Suns knocked off the Bucks in overtime um, on Monday night. <laughs> ironically, ironically, and now here we are. Real quick, Anthony Tolliver, who I brought up last week, he saw some minutes, and and as bad as Mike Scott is, I don't think Tolliver is better. In fact. I predict he'll be gone at the end of this 10-day contract. Yeah, Tolliver wasn't even uh, on the roster last night, active roster. Yeah, he was. He was really bad. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't play a minute on the floor last night. Yeah, I. I. I expect him to not be resigned when that 10-day contract I, is up. I would have to agree, and that doesn't really move the needle one way or another. No, not at all. You know? But you. You were hoping to a small degree that uh, he. He'd. He'd be better than Mike Scott. Wasn't he a high draft pick? Oliver. Was he? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. He's a, he's a veteran. He's been around for a oh, long time. Forever. Yeah. What's this, his 10th, 11th team? Something like that. Yeah, he's a journeyman. <laughs> he's a journeyman in every sense. He is. Well, hey, listen, it, it doesn't end all bad. The Sixers still have that half gamely gripping, you know, by, I by think, the fingertips. I think, I think we're going to the finals, bro. Ah, uh, here we go. I think we're going to the finals. Well, we I can... think we're going to have the magic in the postseason. I just feel that we're going to have that intangible. And the Nets with the chemistry aspect, Harden, Durant, and Ir- Irving only playing seven games together. True. Probably only going to go into the playoffs playing seven games together. There's only 15 games left. Um, True. I just I, They might even get knocked off earlier by like a team like the Hawks even. I don't know. You keep saying the Hawks. I like Atlanta. You think Atlanta is going to beat the Sixers in a seven-game series? Maybe not. Well, not now. I mean, I, I did posture that a little bit. If, if it's Miami, um, maybe I can get on board with that. And that, well, that we'll, we'll get even, a good gauge. We'll get a good gauge of this soon because we got two left with the Hawks in a regular season. You're right. We do. We'll get a good gauge. Alright. Coming up next, we hit the vet line with Seamus Clancy. Coming up next. Vet alumni. And now, it's the Vet Line. Why don't you answer your phone? Today, we're joined on a Vet Line by South Philly's own Seamus Clancy of Bleeding Green Nation. Seamus, thanks for coming on to talk birds with us. Of course, I'm amped. I'm amped. We're excited, too. You yeah. know, I, I personally like acquiring an additional first and move back to 12. I think you could still get a quality guy there. What do you want to see at 12? What do you think we're going to see at 12? I mean, I, I think what everyone loves is one of those two Alabama receivers, and they're a nice, sexy pick, I think. Jalen Waddle could be a good pro. I think he might be the guy that's maybe drafted a little ahead of he should, that traditional speed guy. Or, you know, he's the guy you think the Oakland Raiders would have drafted every year under Al Davis, that type of player. And I like him. I think he could be a great pro. But to me, I think Devontae Smith uh, seems like someone who's going to be an, an all world receiver at the next level. He's the guy I would take. Um, but I think in reality, this, the Eagles are a team who, you know, for this entire century, dating back to Andy Reid and that organizational philosophy has carried them through the last 20 years is building through the trenches. So it's a situation maybe where Sean Slater falls to 12 or they like Elijah Vera Tucker or they, they're they the team that takes the first edge rusher off the board, whether it's Quiddy Pay from Michigan or Jalen Phillips from 
Miami via UCLA. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't surprise me. I think fans would be upset. Yeah. I would get it. It's not a sexy pick, but that's right. that's been the organizational philosophy for two decades. And for the most part, it's worked. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you got to start in the trenches at the line of scrimmage. I mean, that is why those Donovan teams uh, and Andy teams were so successful with those offensive lines. I mean, I think they have a quandary already with the tackle position with Dillard or Mylotta. Um, And then speaking of who they're protecting now, your opinion on Jalen Hurts, what do you think his career trajectory will be? Just your opinion based on what you've seen. I mean, I, I think he can be a Pro Bowl caliber player. I think I'm certainly higher than most people on him and, you know, not just Philadelphia circles, but you know, the NFL world at large. I think he has just the intangibles that work. Uh, I think those are abundant. It, it's clear the way the teammates connect with him. Uh, there was certainly a rift in the locker room last year between Wentz and Hurts, and it's pretty easy to see that the younger players and even some of the older players really uh, connected to connected to Hurts and gravitated to him. But it goes beyond that. Obviously, anyone can be, not anyone, but it's kind of easy to be a great leader. It's, it's easier to be a great person than a bad person, right? But there is talent there. We saw it on display. There was a game like... It's the Saints game where he looked terrific as a runner, had poise in the pocket, knew when to tuck it and run on a high leverage third and sixth situation. But then against that Arizona game, uh, he started off bad, took that horrible safety yeah. on the first, with the first drive of the game first quarter, but then was a fantastic passer the rest of the game, was a tough runner. I just think people, it's easy to connect with him. And whether it's a receiver they take in the first round, that's going to obviously help them. But I think people have to realize, though, uh, taking more players on the offensive line are going to help him just as much, too. Yeah, absolutely. True. Uh, Seamus, the dysfunction within the Eagles organization has been widely reported. Last week, it came out that Howie Roseman's job may not be as secure as we think it is. Do you believe that to be true? I'll believe it when I see it. It's my <laughs> rationale with Howie. He seems like uh, like a son. It's a father-son type relationship. But the, the corollary to that that I always hear, and I, I do understand, is that when Jeffrey Lurie bought the team in 1994, Within days after doing that, he installed his literal childhood best friend in Joe Banner to help him run the organization from the football perspective, as well as some business things. And then towards the end of the Andy Reid era, Howie himself won that power struggle over a guy we'd all assumed would be with the Eagles forever, given his close connection to the owner. Maybe that says more about Howie as Banner, but there's a situation there where you know, not saying there's going to be a new guy. There's this new pedigree. There's this new protege for Jeffrey Lurie. But Banner seemed Teflon at one point in time the way Howie does now. And he's no longer with the team and just some, you know, guy who spews stuff on Twitter all day. Right. It feels like I ask this to everyone we talk to on this show, probably because I just need to hear positive <laughs> reinforcements. But nevertheless, what's your level of excitement? I use the word excitement for Nick Sirianni. I will say this. He's, he's not like the way I talked about the receivers. The receivers are a sexy pick. Nick Sirianni is not a sexy hire. He wasn't someone that was courted by teams all over the league. He wasn't the next Arthur Smith, Brian Dabble, this hot shot offensive coordinator who was, you know, resurging all these careers and, you know, getting these teams to make deep playoff runs, even though Indianapolis did have a good year last year. But everyone assumes that was due to, you know, former Eagles offensive coordinator, Colts head coach, Frank Reich. But I will say that. Obviously, his first press conference, it didn't go really well. I do understand that when he was doing that, his his first time speaking as a head coach, I think at any level, he was talking to a computer screen. He didn't have real people there. It was a weird energy to do that, and he struggled a little bit. But Doug Peterson struggled in his first press conference. But I will say, in his second press conference, he had an energy to him. He reminded me, have you seen the show Ted Lasso? He had this positive energy <laughs> yes. and these, these yeah. vibes that I felt were contagious. And again, he's not a... 
a hire that was uh, really hyped up. It's not people who were people weren't clamoring for him all December and January as we saw that the Doug Peterson era was eroding and coming to an end. But I find it hard not to root for the guy. Well, that's true. Uh, okay, so they signed a pair of former Vikings, safety Anthony Harris, linebacker Eric Wilson. We actually like the signings here. Uh, but I've also heard people say, you know, big deal. If they're so good, why are they coming from a 29th-ranked defense? Uh, where do you stand on these guys? Well, the like the insider joke tongue-in-cheek thing is that I hate any player or person that's associated with the 2017 Vikings since they're like the biggest crybaby <laughs> yeah. ever. But you have to be realistic and put that aside. I think Jonathan Gaddon is a good defensive mind. But in, in a similar situation, uh, when Jim Schwartz came to Philadelphia in 2016, he brought some of his old guys from his days with the Buffalo Bills to Philadelphia. And you have your Nigel Bradhams and guys like that, your Corey Grahams, who played integral role on two, I believe, top 10 defenses by DVOA in 2016 and 2017. Now, I'm not saying that those guys are completely revitalized their careers here, but having guys who are familiar with the system, just competent players. Look at the players we were starting at the end of the season last year in that Cardinals game. You had you know, guys off the street oh, was I think they're competent players and an immediate improvement over <laughs> some of the players that were on defense last year especially late in the year right yeah absolutely and again for our listeners we're speaking with Seamus Clancy of Bleeding Green Nation find him on Twitter at Seamus underscore Clancy we'll stay on the defensive side of the ball now Seamus uh, talking about the linebackers it's been a weird position for the Eagles dating back as far as I can remember, since yeah. Trotter left. Um, yeah. I know we just talked about the signing with Wilson. How you feel about a guy like Alex Singleton and TJ Edwards stepping in to have like pretty heavy roles for this defense to be successful? Again, I think Singleton brings a level of competency that you have to respect, and it's worth for an organization that doesn't value the linebacker position much. I think he can be a three-down player. That, that's what I'm looking for for any modern NFL linebacker. The days of, you know, the LeVon Kirklands of the world playing for <laughs> the Steelers or the 2002 Eagles, those days are over. You need a guy who can not just play the run, you know, go sideline to sideline, but also drop into coverage and you know, defend tight ends and running backs, but maybe in a pinch defend a slot receiver. Yeah, he's got a high motor. Signing, yeah, signing Wilson, I, I don't think should preclude them from taking a linebacker. You know, I, I'm not a guy who, who prioritizes taking a linebacker and, and day one of the draft. I know that's a very divisive subject in the fan base, but more so than in years past, I'd be comfortable taking one even in round two. If a Jabril Cox is there, is even Collins is there, these types of players, I think can be three down players and... You know, if you're just getting them for the rookie deal, you're you're put it, plugging and playing a guy for the next four years who's going to be an above-average starter for you and kind of command that defense. And we've seen with Jonathan Gannon's type system previously with the Vikings and then as a defensive backs coach, but in that whole defense that Indianapolis ran, uh, Darius Leonard and the linebacking core were so integral to their success. Oh, yeah. So I'm not someone who wants to go all out and draft a Micah Parsons or something like that, but if it's a situation where – you know, maybe they don't go that pick at 37, but maybe they move up from 70 or 84 late into the second round or earlier on day three, and they really like a linebacker. And I think there are some guys uh, that'll be available on day and eight, day two, maybe even early day three, who again are three down players. You know, just that one year deal for him, or the you know the strides or flashes we saw from Alex Singleton last year, who I think will be a good player this year, shouldn't preclude them from adding more young talent at that position. Yeah, and you mentioned um, the linebacking core in Indianapolis. I mean, that defense was an elite defense for a large part of the season. Yeah. So oh, my God, yeah. I'm excited about that, too. So, last bird's question, 17-game season, over-under for wins, eight. Oh, under for eight. What's the Vegas line? Six and a half? 
Uh, yeah, I guess we'll be. But our our on over no, under is going to be eight. I, I want to see yours. Yeah, I'll, I'm more into yours, but I just wanted to cover my base. I think eight and nine. I think eight and nine or, or nine and eight is possible. But I'm going to go eight and nine. I think they're like a 500 ball club or ball team. I think they're a little better than people are giving them credit for. Is what yeah. I'll say. And they do have currently Good. the easiest schedule by strength of you know the easiest strength of schedule by last year's record. Oh wow, okay, I didn't know that. Year. Yeah, that's so they that's have good. the easiest schedule, and they are also in the worst division. Division we saw. What did Washington win the division with last year? Six and ten. True. I mean, eight and eight, nine could win the division, and they squeak in. And hey, if you know Hertz plays decent and he gets some playoff experience, and they get a he gets a win, he looks good, and they have three first round picks next year. Yeah, could swing. Maybe twenty twenty two is something. You gotta squint really, really hard. But there could be something there. I no, yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I said last week. I think this is like a two year plan. Yeah. Um. And Hurts uh, definitely has those intangibles. So, uh, lastly, here, Seamus, we have started the Vet Alumni Members Association. It's comprised of Philly media professionals like yourself who appreciate the Vet and have joined us on the Vet line. And we'd like to extend the invitation for you to be a part of that as well. Hell yeah. We appreciate it, man. Give us a vet memory from when you were younger going to games. I don't know if it was exactly on the 4th of July, but in 2002, around that 4th of July week, me and my dad somehow got tickets. We're not someone who went to the vet a ton as a kid. I never went to an Eagles game there. My dad is, you know, imagine my crazed persona on on Twitter. I, I obviously inherited that from him, this, <laughs> this rabid Philadelphia sports fan, whether it's Eagles or Phillies or whatever. So I never, he never let me go to an Eagles game there because you know I turned 27 next month. So I'm a little on the younger side, I guess, ah, the last year yeah, yeah. for the birds at the vet. I was uh, eight or so. Right. But in 2002, I went to a Phillies game. It was, they were playing the Expos, a team that obviously no longer exists. Right. Somehow we got tickets behind home plate and you know, that's the perfect spot for where the fireworks were going off after that game. I can't remember if they won or lost, but that memory of just watching those things pop off and kind of one of those, uh, you know, early memories of sports that really solidified myself and made me the kind of person I am that, you know, loves the the bonds that sports brings to us, whether it's with our, our fathers, our friends, our friends from college, our you know, loved ones, whoever that may be. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, again, we appreciate the time talking birds. And, absolutely. Uh, we'll have you on again sometime uh, before the season starts. Absolutely, guys. Thanks, Seamus. Go birds. It's time for Prim's Picks. These games are a blowout, a human lock. You can bet your children's unborn children on these games. Prim's NBA picks. Here we go. Yeah, buddy. Well, Tech, a third straight undefeated week picking NBA games. Yeah. Can't ask for better than that. Well, you can't. My mark stands at 18-3. and The Sixers beat the Nets, easily avoiding the eight-point loss on the plus eight, which that line actually was plus eight because they were anticipating Durant playing. But then when the news came out that Durant was not playing, the line actually flipped to the Sixers favored by six. But when I recorded the show, it was plus eight. So they did actually win by six points. Um, Mm. Nevertheless... That's a win. And the Mavs went to overtime with the Grizzlies to win outright. I'm on fire again. On fire. Here are this week's locks. Locks. Tech, give me our Sixers straight up to win Uh in Milwaukee tonight. Uh Uh-oh. I think they go in there shorthanded and handle the Bucks. On a back-to-back? The second of a back-to-back? Doesn't matter. (laughs) Yes, we may be without Joe if they give him some rest. And some key guys, potentially. But the Bucks are not as scary as they were in years past. The Sixers were coming off that bad loss to Golden State. 
played the Suns really tough uh, the whole night. I really think that they go in there and win in Milwaukee. Wow. Lock. Lock. Next, I'll take the Bulls at home to cover the three points versus the Hornets. Okay. Hornets may have a better record, but the Bulls are chasing them for that final spot in the East. Yes, they are. Trailing by four games with 15 left to play. This is a crucial opportunity for Chicago. I think they're going to have more urgency at home, and they have the best player on the floor, Zach Lafine. Yeah. Um, so I'll take the Bulls minus three comfortably. They might even win that game by six or seven points. Wow. Lock. Lock. Let's get me to 20-3. and three. How about it? How about so it? So to recap, we have the Sixers outright to beat the Bucks tonight in Milwaukee. Woo! Lock. And the Bulls to cover the three at home versus the Hornets. Uh, this has been Prem's NBA Picks. See you next week. Vet alumni.